Kenny Chester Podcast. Welcome back to the Kenny Chester Podcast. I am your host, Kenny Chester. So thankful to be back in the studio recording a current events episode. This has been a crazy summer. Many of you know my schedule gets very slammed during the summer with uh, conferences and camp dates and uh, other various travels, summer vacations, and then work picks up when you're doing um, the kind of work that I've been doing in the summer is your busy time, but I am so thankful to be able to record this. I've had a couple uh, conversations that have been uh, on the own deck circle. I was able to release those every other week. It's not as much as I want to release episodes, but for the summer, it's going to have to be good enough. And so today we're going to do a news to me. Um, I'm not sure we're going to make it past the Roe v. Wade Supreme Court decision to strike down that terrible law that has now resulted in millions of innocent lives being stamped out in the womb. I'm so thankful that it was finally overturned. We're going to talk about some of the implications regarding that. We might make it to um, the effective end of the Joe Biden presidency. I think he's done. Um, People that were Friendly to his call, supportive of him, are now starting to call for his heads. They're starting to whisper about his demise. I think after the midterm elections, when they lose both the House and the Senate, I think it's going to be outright screams for him to not run in 2024. So I'm not sure we'll be able to get to that. We'll probably stick right here with the SCOTUS decisions. There's been a few of them, but obviously the landmark Roe v. Wade being struck down is an insane turn of events, but it's something that the church has prayed for for many, many years. It's going to be a very interesting episode. I suggest you buckle up. Let's get to work. I don't know. It seems to me that he shouldn't be saying that. Well, what is it that you want him to say? Shut him down. you for sticking around for today's episode. I want to go ahead and just get right out the gate again and say thank you to all my listeners that have reached out to me and wondered if we were going to be able to get some more episodes recorded uh, recorded this summer. Um, we are working on it. We've got actually another conversation I had a few weeks ago still set to be released, and I've got some more planned for later on this month. I think they're going to be good. And as far as our current events or our preaching series or you know the books and things of that nature, I'll, I'll get to them as I can. It's just been a crazy month, and it's actually going to get a little bit more hectic over the next uh, three or four weeks. I've got some revivals and some anniversary services that I've booked to have to go. And so it's going to be a lot of travel. I'm going to be working during the week and then traveling on the weekend. So I'm going to do my best to get some content out there. The desire to do it is still out, uh, still there, um, and my ideas are still there. I think about the podcast and what I'm going to talk about all the time. It's just the time factor has not just been there. And again, that is not your problem. I am working on it. <laughs> and again, thank you for reaching out. Those of you that did, um, we're doing our best here. And let's get right into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, this has probably been two weeks ago. I know this isn't a hot take. This would be more of a cold take, but man, I wanted to let this issue cool down a little bit. I would love to have done some type of, um, emergency Chester presser type thing when it happened. Um, but honestly, I did not have the time and I was really enjoying the moment of just, man, the, the, just the landmark decision. And so I understand there was uh, a large group 
a large, I wouldn't say a large percentage, but there were a lot of people that were misinformed on the issue, and so they thought of this issue as something that was negative, that was anti-democracy, that was anti-women, and so I wanted to uh, rally out of the gate, lay some of those issues or, or uh open up and talk about those issues and lay some of those concerns to rest. Number one, uh, you have to understand this isn't the end of the abortion issue. It's actually just the beginning of it being legislated like it's supposed to be. Um, this does not end abortion. I don't. I don't understand. I, I'm. I was personally excited about it. For as a Christian, this is something we've prayed for my literally my entire life. Um, the you know the sanctity of human life, the image of God being on those those babies in the womb and trying to protect that innocent life from someone that was seeking to do it harm, even if it's their own families that are trying to kill them. We as a church would pray for their deliverance, would pray for their safety, would pray that we'd one day live in a nation where some a barbaric practice would not be able to be tolerated by a society. And we're, we're getting there right now. That's what, what Roe did was when it was decided 50 years ago was not by law, as far as legislative law, it was, it was a basically a judicial fiat or a national fiat, which basically said that these judges at the time looked into the constitution and saw a right to abortion and if you are unfamiliar with what abortion is, abortion ends a viable pregnancy, a a a a life that's in the womb. And this is not this is not a, a Christian way to say this. This is very much scientifically um, sound to say that that is a distinct, unique human life that is in the womb. Now, you could say 50 years ago, we weren't exactly sure because of the advancements of modern uh, science and technology, but now we know, we absolutely know that this is human life that is in the womb. And so what does an abortion do? An abortion extinguishes that light. It ends that life. And this is an abhorrent practice. And so we... As a as a church, as a community of faith, or as a as a nation with some moral compass, you know, if you, if you believed the 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 actual literal um, science, and then also what Scripture says about the life in the womb, then you will celebrate this day. And so I understand that some that have been misinformed, or some that are just you know they don't care, they don't care about science, they don't care about. Um, what the Bible says about life in the womb, they they have elevated their personal liberty or their personal freedom um, to the highest place in the uh, hierarchy of, of things that matter to them. And it, it's really kind, in my opinion, it's very, uh, it's very sad that um, these abortion stories that come out during, especially during this time that uh, it's been put back into the forefront of American life is these stories that come out that talk that these women are um, this it's, they're actually boasting of their abortion and saying that it was the best. I, I've seen this. This is not something this is I'm making up, but I've seen this several occasions. This is the best thing that I, I, I did for my career or, or if I would have had that baby, I would not be where I am today. And I just, I mean, it's, it breaks my heart to hear those type words. It's like, well, what about that baby? <laughs> you know, the, the, the baby is not here today. And that is, that is a life that was formed in the womb and it was distinct and it was unique and it had value.
So the arguments against this, and I've seen even progressive and more liberal type Christians make this argument, is that no one has the power, no judges, no um, legislators, no government, no nobody has the power or the right to tell someone else what they can do with their body. And I would want to just say that this is, you could not be more wrong with that thinking when your right infringes on someone else's body. I want to make it as simply as I can. I heard this argument before, and I thought it was brilliant because it succinctly pointed out where your rights end, and that is with the body of another individual. And so you have the right to wave your hands in the air. Nobody can stop you from waving your hands in the air. Your right ends, however, when your hand, through the act of waving it in the air, would strike someone else standing near you. And you could say, well, I didn't mean to punch them. Or you could say, I intended to punch them. It's my body. I can do whatever I want with my body. Well, you can do whatever you want with your body as long as it does not cause harm to someone else's body or someone else's property. That's why we have laws. And so you can say, well, I can kick as high as I want to. And the government, who's the government to say what I can do with my body? And that is correct to a certain extent. But if your kick involves you kicking a child... That, that is then you're breaking the law. Even though you've done that with your body and that's your right to do something with your body, your rights end when another person's body comes in uh, to play. And so this is the abortion issue on a simple, I know there's much more nuances here, but if you're arguing from the, the vantage or the, the position of it's my body, I can do with it what I want, then you have to understand that all other laws concerning your body ends with your infringement on someone else's body. And so when we're talking about a pregnancy, it's like my body, I can do with what I want with my body. That is correct as long as you doesn't, don't come, cause harm to another body. Even if that body is inside your body, it still is another body. It is, it is another life. And we wouldn't do this with a a mother and a father with their children, we have we have laws that keeps people from physically abusing children, from sexually abusing children, from emotionally and, and verbally abusing. I know people have 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 had all kind of uh, trouble stirred up, you know, by mistreating their children. And it doesn't matter if they're yours. It doesn't matter if they live in your house. If you are affecting them with your body then you are breaking the law. We have laws against that. And so it's not, it's nothing that's out, outside um, the courts to say, okay, you can do this with your body as long as it doesn't harm someone else's body. And this is what abortion does. It harms another person's body. So getting back on track to what I originally started this episode talking about was, okay, so now we're at a place to where it did not end abortion. It simply said that this imaginary right that was not constitutional, that was not expressed or explicitly stated anywhere in the Constitution that these judges in the 50s or however long ago it was in the 70s, I think it was decided, um, that, that they were wrong. 
and you say, well, that's not exactly, this ain't, this ain't how things work. Well, <laughs> that's, I'm sorry, you're wrong, that, that, that this is exactly how the system works, is when there's bad laws, it goes to the court, and the court decides whether it's uh, constitutional or not. And so what happens when the courts get it wrong? Have the courts ever got it wrong? Absolutely. They got it wrong on slavery. They got it wrong on segregation of uh, schools, and they would get it wrong on a numerous other uh, um cases. And so just because something has been precedent for 50 years doesn't mean if it was wrongfully decided, if it was um, unconstitutional, that they can't come back and right the ship. And thankfully, that's what they did. Okay, so where are we at right now? So now you can't get abortions in any state and it's it's banned and it's outlawed. This is absolutely ridiculous. And so you've probably, if you are thinking this, you've probably been lied to your entire life. Number one, you've probably been lied to that saying that it was a constitutional right. It was not a constitutional right. Even when they said that it was in the Constitution, they lied. It was not in the Constitution. We can literally scan the document. You can look at the Constitution. There is, it's not enumerated in the Constitution. Here's the good news, that you can amend the Constitution. If you want it in the Constitution, you can amend the Constitution. The founders literally put in a how-to. This is how you add things to the Constitution, and so you can do that. So let's go beyond that. So now it's been banned, right? Absolutely. Absolutely not. All this, all this SCOTUS ruling did was send the issue back to the states. And so now this is actually how the system is supposed to work. You have legislators that post, are supposed to pass laws. And if they want strict or lenient laws concerning abortion, then you have the right to pass those laws. And those legislators, those representatives, are accountable to the public. If you pass a law or they pass a law that the state does not want, they can be voted out and they can vote for their representatives to come and pass the laws that they won't pass or they can cast down the law. That's how the system works. The system was never designed for an unelected body to put laws into practice. That unelected body is there to decide whether those laws are constitutional. That is the that is two branches of government. If you are any, if you've taken civics or anything like that, you'll understand that there's three branches. Then we have an executive branch, and that's how it's supposed to work. And so, if you want laws, vote for people that can make the laws that you want. If you're in a state that they're not making the laws that you want, and you don't have the majority, that's tough luck. Or you go to another state that is more aligned with your personal values, and that is how the system is set up. It, I, I, what blows my mind is people talking about how this is like anti-democracy or it's something that um that we don't we've never seen in america you know we've got a right that has has been taken away from americans it's like man do you not know history like there's been there's been times where the courts got it wrong and took rights away and in this case they got it right and they just said there was never a right to begin with and if you want that right here's the prescription go and amend the constitution elect people that you want form a coalition whatever you but you've got to do it the proper way. Michael Knowles from Daily Wire, he said this. I thought it was really good. He says, whatever one thinks of abortion, the Dobbs ruling is extremely pro-democracy. It may be the most pro-democracy court decision in American history. That so many self-styled defenders of democracy are angry about it makes one wonder what they really mean by the word democracy. I think this is telling. Usually when somebody's complaining that democracy isn't working, it's basically they're complaining that we're not getting what we want. One side is is saying, I, I, this isn't this isn't working. 
voting. And so it's amazing if you've lived in the last 10 years, you'll notice that political parties, they don't lose elections anymore. The, all the elections are rigged. This goes for the Republicans in 2020. This goes for the Democrats in 2016. There's never, in the last 10 years that I'm aware of, uh, even going back when I was in high school with uh, with Bush versus Gore, like there's not a side, and, and, and it doesn't matter which election cycle is the most recent one. They'll point and say, these people are, they're the anti-democracy. They're the people that are undermining our institutions. Man, it's been going on since I was a teenager that they cannot lose elections. Nobody knows how to lose an election. It's always something wrong with the system. It's never, hey, I didn't go to Wisconsin when I was running for president and I lost Wisconsin. It's never, look at, let's, you know, a little introspection. Let's see what we got wrong. It's always, well, the system let us down. The you know it's it's really the people wanted this, but the system let us down. I'm kind of in the camp where the system is the only thing that's really holding us together right now because people are morons. Like people have lost their minds. I don't know if it's the internet. I don't know if it's social media, but people have lost their ever loving minds. They don't know how to talk to people. They don't know what other people um, really believe out in you know in in on the streets, so to speak. They just they 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 get in these echo chamber bubbles and they think that because you've got you know 15,000 likes on Twitter because you've dunked on somebody, you know, you some political opponent that that you've made a good argument and, and this is what this is going to we're going to find out in this abortion issue now is who's got a better argument that's what that's when it goes to legislation is we, we you need to be able to rest on your arguments and something i've noticed for pro choice people is that they have terrible arguments that is why they needed the scotus to read a constitutional right into uh, or read a right into the constitution that never existed because they could never convince people on their the merits of their arguments their arguments are terrible absolutely terrible and they haven't had to make arguments in 50 years because nobody's had to legislate they all just went to this 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 uh abhorrent decision uh of of roe v wade and they never and so now what we're seeing is like the weakness of these arguments it's really 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 sad um to 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 watch these people that are you know supposedly are the best you know the brightest of minds in in government and they're just absolutely pathetic when it comes to reasoning these things out. And so that is where we are currently. We, we're going to have to make arguments. Both sides, both sides, pro-life, pro-choice, you've got to make an argument. And that's something, and I think I've talked about, I talked about this on maybe our last news to me. I can't remember. It's been so long ago. But these bad arguments that come against people, they say, oh, they're just, they're pro-life. They're just, they're just, they're really just pro-birth. They, they don't, they don't care about life after birth, and which is ridiculous. If you see any study, if you, if you read the literature, uh, pertaining to abortions and those that that run charities and and and, and centers for um orphans and, and, and things of that nature, by far, uh, Christian conservatives are more likely to adopt. They're more likely to give to charitable causes. It's absolutely insane that the group that does the most for to alleviate the suffering of humanity is the one that's accused for not caring absolutely at all. The reason you get labeled for not caring is because you say, it's our job as a community to take care of these people, and it's not the government's job. And the other group that does, do, does not give at the levels that conservatives give they say well it's just they 
they're trying to keep the government from doing it, so they're the ones that aren't against that. No, that's not true. I'm against that policy. I am for humanity. I think there's better ways to take care of humanity. Um, of course, this caused uh, international outrage, quote-unquote outrage, anything to dump, uh, dunk on America, or dump or dunk, however you want to say it, is both uh, basically the same uh, ends there. Um, anybody, any, anything to throw mud at the Americans, um, I think, let me look, let's see, following the CBS News uh, reported this, following the U.S. Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe v. Wade, some of the world's highest leaders um, spoke out on the major change to abortion rights in the United States. Um, and it goes through there, the leader of Spain, France, Belgium, and they talk about like how disappointed, how it's a setback for women's rights. Um, I, I, I don't know if they have mirrors in Europe, um, but they could probably get a good mirror because all these folks that have uh, complained about our now our our new abortion uh, quote unquote ban it's not a ban um, actually have more restrictive abortion policies than the United States of America. Uh, Spain outlaws or limits uh, abortions at 14 weeks. France, 14 weeks. Belgium, 12 weeks. The UK is 24 weeks. Norway's 12 to 18 weeks. Canada varies by province. All these people obviously are coming out against the Americans, and they they, they, they don't own mirrors. They, can't, they don't even look at their own laws to see where they are um, concerning abortion rights in their own backyard. Um, there was, um, I think it was the, U, the European Union Parliament voted uh, 324 to 155 to condemn the United States Supreme Court for overturning Roe versus Wade, which was interesting because the president of the European Parliament is a guy named Roberta uh, Mazzola. He's from Malta, and they outlaw abortion completely in Malta. Just, just, just you know, just unbelievable stuff coming out of the international community. Um, of course, Uncle Joe comes out. President Joe Biden. He says something about he's trying to defend. Uh, the row uh, or the original row as protecting abortion early in her pregnancy. Um, this is something you'll hear from like dinosaur Democrats, those that were way back Democrats. They used to have this thing where they would say abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Um, that has been thrown out on its head because they don't want rare anymore. They want ab abortion on demand. And so you get guys like Biden, who's been around, who's Change, his position has changed on abortion so many times. I think back in the 80s, he was running for president. He wanted to let the states decide, which is what this ruling does, is let the states decide. But now, of course, he's uh, uh, mayor of Crazy Town over there, and so he's got to go with the the, the latest and most extreme policy setters. But this is one of the things that he, he said. He's like, well, this is, this is you know protection for early in her pregnancy, but that's actually not true with regard to late abortions. Um, all 50 states, if Roe was upheld, all 50 states were in the same club as some of the world's worst offenders on women's rights. That's North Korea, Vietnam, Communist China. You say, well, they, they, they allowed for late-term uh, late abortions. It's not because they love women. It's because they're practicing eugenics, and we, we that's not a group that you want to be a part of. And so the one of the worst arguments um, that I've, I've been seeing is this these arguments on the—I want to get it right. I, want, I, want to, I think it's called a ectopic pregnancy, and this is something—it's a sad, very sad situation to where the— the life in the womb is no longer viable, and they have to remove it. It's it's actually 
and this is according to the Planned Parenthood website, this is not an abortion. It's not considered an abortion. It's not classified as an abortion. And so it's it became this thing that we're like, well, now if 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 it's an ectopic pregnancy and you can't have an abortion, then you're must you must carry that to term and it's going to cause a great danger to the mother. It's going to cause physical harm, physical distress, and all these things, which is all true, but that is not an abortion. So there's this thing, uh, Polymath on um, Twitter said, there's this thing where people are using abortion to describe procedures for handling miscarriages. And he says, that's fine. He says, if you want to use that argument, that's fine. He says, but that's if that's our definition of an abortion, then... No abortion is banned anywhere in the country, and there's no weeks that limit an abortion anywhere. So if you're going to call that an abortion, then the laws that we have in states on, on the records right now in every state, then there's no ban on abortion because if that's an abortion, you can have that all the way up until uh, in the ninth month. Um, so we can use definitions. Everybody understands. You can call the thing an abortion when it's an abortion. You can call it a, 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 a miscarriage when it happens. A miscarriage is a procedure to remove uh, the miscarried uh, fetus. You could call call it that, but we can't play this word shifting word game where we're going to say this is one thing. And, and, and so this is, this is an abortion when it suits my needs. So if you're going to use that, you're going to use that as an abortion. And then you must say, well then, okay, then they're not banned because every state has a law that this is allowed when the fetus is non-viable when you've miscarried then you can have a removal and if you want to call that abortion then you must also be intellectually consistent and say okay well then then that does not strike down because every state has a law that allows for that removal but it's just people that are not they're not being intellectually honest they're they're trying to win arguments and it's very sad it's um, you could see through it if you're watching this there was an exchange this happened actually this past week between um I think she's a representative from Massachusetts. Her name is Representative uh, Presley. I, actually, I'm going to play this clip because it's unbelievable that people think that they can get away with this when there's video and audio of these conversations. I think that they do get away with it because some people do not want to hear the truth or see the truth. But I'm just going to play this exchange um, and just see if you are, are, are just flummoxed as I am by listening to this. Thank you, Madam Chair. Uh, Ms. Holly, please state for the record. When an ectopic pregnancy ruptures, what are the chances that it can be carried to term? My, under my understanding is that when an ectopic pregnancy ruptures is a life-threatening condition, that's why the treatment for an ectopic pregnancy is Excuse not me. an abortion. I'm sorry, sorry, reclaiming my time here. Again, could you just answer the question? When an ectopic pregnancy ruptures, what are the chances that it can be safely carried to term. And, and you know what, just to make this even clearer, I'm looking for a number between zero to 100. Can you give me a, a percentage? Sure, I believe zero ectopic pregnancies, even those that do not rupture, have a chance of uh, uh, successfully being carried to term. That's why the treatment for them is not an abortion. Reclaiming my time. Uh, it seems that there is a deficit in your understanding of reproductive health. Uh, in fact, I want the record to reflect that according to the American College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists, treatment for ectopic pregnancy requires ending a non-viable pregnancy. Now, let's turn... That, with respect, ma'am, that's not an abortion. This is my time. You, I asked you the question. You answered. And I'm now providing you with the accurate information from medical experts. 
My question was, when an ectopic pregnancy ruptures, what are the chances it can be safely carried to term? The answer is 0%. I answered that correctly. Further. Ooh, I can't. I just, my blood pressure. <laughs> I don't know if you, you can hear the sanctimony in this representative's uh, moral preening against this lawyer. Um, this, I think her name is Erin Howley. And she's there being questioned by this committee, and she's one of the key lawyers in this case that, that overturned Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs case that come out of Mississippi. She's an attorney, and she's very uh, credentialed as far as, like, she's had a lot of success in her, her, her legal career. And she's being lectured by someone who has either she, she knows she's misrepresenting the truth or she's just grossly ignorant when it comes to these abortion cases. Because if you listen to it very uh, carefully, or even if you're not listening to it carefully, you'll be able to pick up on she's she's got these prepackaged statements she's got to make against this. Um, I don't know if you call them witness. I don't know what they what they refer to the person that comes and testifies before these committees. I don't know why anybody would uh, sign up for something like that. But she's she's got these prepared statements. And it doesn't matter what. Uh, Miss Hawley is going to say um, when she provided her the correct answer that she was looking for, the zero percent, zero percent. She said, I don't need a number from one to 100. She said zero. And then later on, she goes, now I'm going to educate you on the actual numbers. The number is zero. And the lady's like, I said zero. <laughs> so what I said. But that's not even the major point. The point was that the fact that she was saying an abortion was this ectopic um pregnancy it's not even classified as that it's not even classified by Planned Parenthood and so it's just a total train wreck um, it's just you look at those committee hearings and you I think back of what uh, if you've ever seen this interview with uh, Justice uh, Thomas Clarence Thomas who endured a horrible horrible confirmation hearing um, and if you want some great footage go back there and watch that and then you'll see then senator now president joe biden just at, at just beclown himself beclown the whole process trying to question uh clarence thomas and if you hear uh thomas's interview afterwards like it's just so frustrating you sit up there listening to the people that just go on and on they have no idea what they're talking about you don't even know what they're talking about and uh it's 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 a very uh instructive, I guess would be a good uh, way to describe that type of process. Man, we're at the 30 minute mark and we didn't even get to talk about some of the things I really wanted to talk about. And I think what I might, I tell you what, what I'll do is I'll close and I'll link this article in the, um, in the show description. But I, I've read it. It was in The Federalist. Um, it was written by David. I always say his name wrong. It's an Eastern European name. I think it's Harsanyi. Um, I, I enjoy his commentary. But he, he wrote an article called It's Not Minority Rule, It's the Point. And I'll, I'll read a few excerpts from that, and I'll link the whole article. But many people were saying that there's no way that um, when the, you have an issue that so many people or the overwhelming uh, consensus is X, which you look at those polls, those polls are ridiculous. They can be leading. Um, how they ask the question is a lot of uh, indicates exactly the motives of the poll takers. And so I don't I don't trust polls usually, um, you know, from from that just, you know, at a cursory glance of it, I won't I won't give much uh, uh, credence to polls. Um, that's why, again, we have elections. That's what we have. Um, if you if you want it to become the law of the land, we're not going to put it to a vote. We're going to put 
legislators to the vote, and then they legislate on our behalf. Um, but uh, this is the lead in the article, and I, I think it's very um, instructive to us. It says this, one of the more popular grievances from the contemporary left revolves around the notion that our nation has been subverted by this is, quote, minority rule. And so here's a famous pollster. Talk about guys that do polls. Here's a famous pollster, quote, uh, his name is Nate Silver. Uh, he's one of the only ones that gave Trump a shot in 2016. Um, and so he, he became someone that people paid attention to, his polling uh because of, of, of calling that well, like he did, or at least giving credence to the fact that Trump could have won when everybody said he could not. This is what he had said concerning uh, these new uh, SCOTUS rulings. He said, despite the various, very serious threats to American democracy, things would mostly be fine if the balance of elected power more closely reflected the popular will, uh, e.g. Senate seats proportional to population, no electoral, or no electoral college, and less gerrymandering. Silver is confusing the end. This is back, not in his quote anymore. This is back to David. Silver is confusing the inability to coerce others with monetarianism. It is not a serious threat to American democracy that New Yorkers are unable to dictate Oklahoma's abortion laws, nor that Texas can't compel Rhode Islanders to adopt their gun laws. It's the point. Now, breaking away from the article just for a minute, you've probably heard somebody make the comment, well, if the founders could have known that we had a state that was as populous as California, and then you have some place like, and they always say somebody, you know, some place like Kentucky, they never say any place like Rhode Island <laughs> or Delaware, you know, because they're liberal and they want, they want the same things, that, but they always, you know, have a large Democratic state and then a small Republican state, as if there's not large Republicans or small Democratic states, but that's neither here nor there, but they always say, if they could envision California being the largest state. Uh, so let me, let me just point out something. You might have already seen this, but um, this, this is something that the first American census was in 1790, uh, and it found that Virginia was the most populous state back then, and it was home to around 20% of, um, of the population. So today, California is our largest state, and it makes up around 12% of the nation's population. So this argument that if the founders could only have envisioned a state being so populous to make up you know, this much, it's, it's ridiculous because when the, found, the founding of the country took place, there was a state that was more populous making up a larger percentage of the country than California does right now. So it doesn't, it, it, this whole imbalance thing, it was literally codified in the founding document, which incidentally mentions democracy zero times. People think that we're, we're not a democracy anymore. That's right. We're, we're a republic. We're, you know, we're, you know, you call it a democratic republic. Um, and so we know what the framers, back to the article, we know what the framers envisioned. Small states having equal say because in the Federalist paper, Federalist 62, James Madison grapples with the undemocratic nature of the Senate, but he comes to the conclusion that it is an, quote, advantage that, quote, no law or resolution can now be passed without the concurrence first of a majority of the people and then of the majority of the states. The Senate works exactly as it was envisioned because we need the majority of the people to believe it, but also the majority of the states. Why? Because we cannot have the tyranny of a majority. Because if a large state says, you know, I don't think X state, fill in the blank, has the right to blank, then they could just write that in the law. We don't want that, and that's why we have these constitutional provisions and restrictions. We're going to end with this last quote of the article again. I'm going to link it in full where you can go back and read it because I thought it was very interesting. I enjoyed reading it. This is the last uh, the paragraph. It says, The diffusing of the federal government's power over states and the state's power over individuals isn't minority rule. It's one of the most indispensable, if imperfect, 
ways to ensure that a diverse people can rule themselves. Thanks for listening to the Kenny Chester Podcast. Please consider sharing this episode with a friend, becoming a subscriber, and leaving a review. 